Don Miguel Rojo, I want to talk to you. Don Miguel, I hear you're hiring on men. Well, I might just be available. I got to tell you before you hire me. I don't work cheap. Get three coffins ready. Uh, huh? We all feel better. In the dark. We all feel better. We all feel better. In the dark. In conclusion, if you find yourself falling asleep, having a dream child in the middle of a nightmare, while you're trying to wake up when you're being chased by a guy with razors on his fingers, and you don't know it's a new nightmare, and then you got Jason, he's got an axe, got Kelly rolling, she's not singing, nightmare baby, nightmare baby, nightmare baby. H-Y. Once upon a time on a Super Bowl night, two guys from BK brought the points to life. Gave you some previews and some laughs. Wasn't no big thing, no one thought it would last. Then one started growling at the mention of a chick. The other guy would lose it every time he got pissed. Next thing you know, they got a good fan base. So they said, what the hell, let's continue to pace. No stone uncovered, they will take on a topic. Might bring on a guest, and together they rock it. Cause they're in like Flint, too much is a cool. If you don't know the beautiful one, they'll take you to school. I'm talking about Tom, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. The best podcast out, hands down, it's set. So in the tub, in the car, if you're chilling in the park, welcome to another show of Better in the Dark. I'm interested in your friends in high places, and I don't trust politicians. No, if we listen to you, we'd still be rolling drunks for living. Rope? You carry that stink of the streets with you the rest of your life. I like the stink of the streets. It makes me feel good. I like the smell of it. It opens up my lungs. Well, such a big reward being offered to all you gentlemen that I thought I might just tag along on your next robbery. Might just turn you into the law. Naturally.
kind of thing. Or something like that. But yes, the good, the bad, the ugly. And then, Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah. And Once, Once Upon a Time in, in the West. In the West. Seven films. Seven movies. There was an eighth film he was working on when he died, which was Leningrad. Yeah. There's not that many people that you can definitely say change the entire face of an entire genre. And he did it. His contribution to what we now call the Spaghetti Western yeah. has been so tremendous. I mean, Hell, his, I mean, there are filmmakers still today yeah. that are still, well, you know. earlier this week we had an announcement. Tarantino came out of his cave with his little tablet and said, I will now I'll announce my next movie. I will be making... Django Unchained. And then he went back into his cave to look at foot fetish videos of Uma Thurman. Okay. <laughs> Good enough. And even that, we were talking in the last episode we recorded about the Guns of the Magnificent Seven. And I talked about how it was obvious that people who were making American Westerns were struggling to keep up with all the innovations that Leone was doing in his seven little films. And people have to remember something. The Italian cinema is wildly different from the American cinema in that whenever they find a movie that works. Everybody yes. in Italy makes those movies. Yeah. So they had just come out of the sword and sandal yes. era. The peplums. Right. And that was dying down. So they were looking around seeing what else could they do and what was going to be the next big thing. Yeah. Sergio Leone saw this samurai movie. Yeah. Jimbo. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, he was kind of complaining to anyone who would listen mm-hmm. around this time that he thought that the American Western had become stale. That he didn't care for how codified it had become. Mm-hmm. And he really wanted to do something that would just blow the doors off of that genre. Mm-hmm. And boy, did it ever. Yeah. Now, he did do a peplum. He did win the last days of Pompeii. He did the Colossus of I, It was always you know who Clint Eastwood has to thank for his career? Who? Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson. Oh, right. Because Char- he offered it to Charles Bronson. Charles, Charles Bronson, Bronson turned it down. Yeah. He said, I'm sorry, this is a really bad movie, but give this Clint Eastwood guy a call. But you know something that's really funny and that I thought yeah. was most appropriate? A lot of these guys that turned yeah. Leone down had to eat crow because yeah. it turned out in a year or two after that, they were going yeah. to Italy and they were do- because the spaghetti western genre, it blew the roof off the sucker. Well, we should probably say, by the way, that you're listening to Better in the Dark with Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. And before we continue, we just want to say that Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com, which invites you to try out their service for up to 14 days, including a free download of your first audio book. Now, as I always do, I put together some suggestions for books that you could download that are tied in with this episode. This is an episode about Westerns. One of the ones I want to suggest is the Wolf Calder series by Will C. Not. Will C. Not. Will C. Not, I guess. There's a name. The Long Knives Are Crying, a Lakota Western by Joseph M. Marshall. I like that title. And, of course, what would be an episode about Westerns without at least a brief mention of Louis L'Amour? You can get The Trap of Gold and Trail to Pie Town. Louis L'Amour Western Tales. And this one you can get for free. If you don't like these, there are over 85,000 tiles to choose from for your iPod or other MP3 player. So if you can't find something you don't like, don't blame them. Yes. If you want to sign up and get your free audiobook download, just go to audiblepodcast.com slash better in the dark and sign up today. Audible.com. Wow, 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 wow. Sorry. 
Right. Hey, we got some listener mail. Let's get the listener mail out of the way, and then we're going to start the Julian Festival of Goodness. The first piece of listener mail is from Chris Mounts, and it's titled, I'm Going to Kick You in the Face. Okay. Tom and Derek, love the show. Got into the show by way of Tom's DJ Comics Cavalcade. Have been going through your back episodes for the last six months, and I'm obsessed. Loved the Star Trek, Doctor Who, and Rivals of Bond episodes. Also enjoyed the Marx Brothers episode, and wanted to know, have you done a Chaplin episode yet? Will Derek come on the cade to do some Doc Savage episodes from DC's upcoming showcase? Will you guys ever do an episode on anime or on the Marvel and DC direct-to-disc films? You know that, right? And I don't know how this got worked out. DC is putting out a showcase volume of the Marvel. Of the Marvel Doc Savage stuff, which I have on order, because I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I guess they bought the rights from Marvel. Yeah, or as part of the Street and Smith package. Right, exactly. I figured that's it, that since they were doing the Doc Savage as part of their aborted first wave series. Uh, everything's been canceled. Yeah, everything. And with good reason. Yeah. I it sucked. Yeah, well it did. Although everybody universally said that the best out of it was the spirit. Yeah. They said the spirit didn't deserve mm-hmm. Well, we've talked about what they did with the spirit in the past. Mm -hmm. My feeling has always been the spirit should never have been in a shared universe. Doc Savage was doomed to failure from the beginning because of the writer, Brian Azzarello, who Mm -hmm. I believe personally poisoned the well before the first issue was even seen by saying, well, I'm reinventing the character and nobody cares about Doc Savage except a bunch of 70-year-old guys. Well, there's a reason why the characters lasted 70 years. And if you wanted to do your own Doc Savage-like character, that's what you should have went off and did. You shouldn't have taken the Doc Savage that has existed and bend them so out of shape. The idea behind First Wave, I didn't really have a problem with. Yeah. But the execution, what they did to the Avenger, oh, was God. sacrilege. It was obvious to me that so many of these people did not understand the properties they were writing. No, absolutely not. If Brian Azzarello even so much as picked up a Doc Savage mm-hmm. story, I would be highly surprised. Because mm-hmm. it seems to me he had no idea. His Doc Savage read like he just went to Wikipedia and yeah. said, okay, well, let me take this and let me take this. Well, you know my charge about Brian Azzarello is that he's not interested in doing anything original or interesting. He's interested in ripping off what he thinks is edgy and smart and clever. Yeah. As I always call them, well, actually, to be fair, this was never my appellation. Mort Castle kept coined it. He called them, Brian, if my HBO went out, I'd have nothing to write Azarello. Oh, God. Violence enough. So I don't know what the whole I'm going to kick you in the face thing is. But anyway. It caught your attention, didn't it? Yes, it did. Okay. <laughs> the Chaplet episode. Somebody else has asked about that. Why do people keep asking us to do Chaplin episode? I don't know. And I'm going to be honest with you. I know next to nothing about Charlie Chaplin. The only movie of his I've sat down and watched from beginning to end is The Great Dictator. Okay. Which I think is brilliant, by the way. Not to discount yeah. Chaplin. But Chaplin is just somebody I've never... You know who I really am more into? Who? Guys like Buster Keaton, as far as yeah. you know, the silent era goes. Buster Keaton and uh, Lloyd. Harold Lloyd. Yeah, Harold Lloyd. Yeah, I'm much more into those guys. Do we want to go that far back? I know we've always talked about we wanted to do this year more stuff from before 1970. I always found Harold Lloyd very fascinating, although it's kind of sad that he was somebody who didn't quite make the transition, because apparently his voice is really annoying. Matter of fact, I have seen another Chaplin movie, Monsieur Verdoux. I've seen that one. That was Martha Wright. Right, that was very good. I like that one. The actual silent stuff of Chaplin, I haven't seen too many of those. Yeah, but I was much more into Harold Lloyd and guys like... I mean, if enough people ask for a Chaplin episode, we'll do it. But so you know what to do. you got to send us <clears throat> yeah. emails like this. Yeah. That's better in the dark at earth2.net. That's better in the dark at earth-2.net. Anime. I think I've mentioned in the past that I can't stand anime. Right. Although I also have mentioned that there are two anime shows that I've always had great respect and love for, which is Cowboy Bebop, Cowboy Bebop yeah. and Lupin the Third. 
I love Lupin. Yeah. Now, we can do a whole episode about Lupin the Third right mm-hmm. there, because the Castle of Cagliostro, when you talk about adventure movies, that rates yeah. right up there with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Actually, I own, I think, four. Four or five of the Lupin the Third, what they call OAV. Original mm-hmm. anime yeah. videos. And what a lot of people don't know is that there's about a dozen movies yeah. of it. The one with the immortal lady and yeah. she's giving them the clues to go to Babylon. Mm-hmm. I really, really do love Lupin. I love the whole fact that it's like it's like a caper movie mm-hmm. with just a lot of humor in it. And it just, it's just great. But I don't know. We'll see. Okay, as far as anime goes. Now, stuff like Bleach and One Note and all that yeah. other stuff. I can't get into oh, that. See, there is one other thing that, I, but this was when I was a kid. I haven't seen it since then. What's that? Well, they called it Star Blazers here. Oh yeah, Star Blazers. Oh, I love that one. Space Cruiser Yamato. Yamato. And yeah. apparently, so did J. Michael Straczynski. Because if you look at Crusades, you realize he really must have liked Space Cruiser. There's Yamato. a yeah. lot of Star Blazers in that one. Crusade. What have I watched? I've watched Trigun, which I yeah. like. Samurai Champloo, I like I that. have Trigun in my Netflix queue at the moment. Yeah. Because I've, I've heard that that's pretty good. Yeah, Trigun is pretty but good. it's kind of like an anime western. Yeah, it is. The human typhoon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not crazy about it like a lot of people yeah. are. I watch some of it. Some of it I find that it's so penetrable. Yeah. And I don't like that you have to watch it from the beginning, like Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. I've seen that a couple times. I don't understand that. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just don't understand Ghost in the Shell. Dragon Ball Z, does that qualify as anime? Yes, it does. I don't get it. There's a lot of it I just simply don't get. It's just too impenetrable for me, and I don't like... I don't know. There's too many characters. What's one that I really enjoy? Oh, Big O. Yes, the what if Bruce Wayne had a giant robot. Does that mean that this version of Bruce Wayne had a giant robot splash into his window? Yes. (laughs) Of course, that is what super criminals would be afraid of. Giant robot. Giant robot. I'd be afraid of a giant robot, too. When you realize that the same Japanese animation studio did Batman the Animated Series did, Big O, you understand more closely now the similarities between the two. Again, if you want to see us do an anime episode, all you got to do is just let us know. And we'll put together something out of our limited knowledge. And the Marvel and DC direct-to-disc films. Now, I do have some news on at least one of them. I was talking with Michael Davidson at Earth2.net, and he is promising up and down we're going to finally get that episode of Earth2.net where he, I, and James Doe talk about First Flight. That one gets a very yeah. bad rep, and it's not that bad. Oh, oh, First Flight is horrible. No, it's not. First Flight is pretty good. The only problem, like we've yeah. talked about, they're too quick to get in and out yeah. of space and get to the punchy-punchy run-run. But except for that, I like First Flight. I think the best one I've seen so yeah. far is the one you turned me on to. Crisis on Two Earths. Earth, yeah. That and New Frontier. New Frontier is probably edges out Crisis mm-hmm. on Two Earths a little bit yeah. as my favorite, but Batman Under the Red Hood, I saw that. I'm so, I'm just not as interested in and part of the problem, with, and this is something we've talked about is that it's all been about Batman, Superman, and Justice League. Oh yeah. Batman, Superman, Justice Like the next one they're doing is Batman Year One. I have no interest in that. I have no that. interest in that. I saw the Superman Shazam one. Yeah. Now if they left out Superman, yeah. I saw no reason to shoot more Superman into the yeah. origin of Captain Marvel. It was genius to have James Garner do the voice of Shazam. Oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I love that. That was cool shit. Yeah. You know what I've been more impressed with? What? Both me and you have yeah. said that. We've been more impressed with the shorts. Yeah. The Spectre, the Jonah Hex, the Green Arrow. Yeah. Which is what? Die Hard. Compressed yeah. to what? Eight minutes or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. And I gotta tell you, the last Marvel direct to DVD movie I saw was that really god awful Iron Man 
redo they did. I haven't seen any of them. Although people keep telling me that the Hulk versus isn't mm-hmm. too bad. The Hulk versus Thor and and who else does he fight that overrated little yeah. one? Yeah, Wolverine versus Hulk. Yeah. And that is another Thor one coming out soon. Yeah, I've also heard that they have the Thor, what, the Tales of Asgard yeah. one, the one where he's a kid. I've yeah. heard that's pretty good. I just don't have interest in these things. I saw the Doctor Strange yeah. one. All I, I had was, to do was hear Michael Bailey and Chris Johnson talk about All-Star Superman and realize, not for me. Now that one I want to see. I want to yeah. see All-Star Superman. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to pick up the Green Lantern anthology when it comes out. Oh, absolutely. with the movie. But I have no interest in all... That's the problem. I don't have a motivation to watch these films because I just don't have an interest yeah. in watching All-Star Superman or Batman Year One or... Yeah, Batman, yeah. Under the Red Hood, which, like I said, I will never give. Nah, don't, don't waste your time. It's not even that it was a bad movie. Yeah. But it's just that, to me, it's an unnecessary one. Let me see some feature length of other characters. This is Let what I'm see. saying. But apparently everyone says it's because Wonder Woman did so poorly. But why don't we get to see a Flash one? The Flash movie is supposed to be coming out sometime in the next two years. Let's see something else other than... Challenges of the Unknown. Which to me would be a no-brainer. Yeah. Come on, let's no. see something else. Secret Sex. Let's adapt to Gail Simone arc. You want something really arc and edgy? Let's do that. Birds of Prey. The yeah. real birds of prey. The real prey. birds of prey. Yeah. The outsiders. Yeah. Uh, what else? There's so much. Yeah. We come back to this argument. Sergeant Rock. Yeah. We come back to this complaint we come back to all the time, which is that there's such a wealth of characters. The to Tank. The yeah. Creeper. But apparently DC thinks the only thing people are going to buy is Batman. Is Batman and Superman. And Justice League. Which, from a business standpoint, yeah. I can't fault them for it because yeah. the bottom line is... And I know, again, I'm going to hear yep. from this because people say, oh, why are you always talking about money all the time? Well, I talk about money because that's the bottom line. Yeah. They're in business to make money, and they're not going to produce movies that don't sell. So if you do want to see other characters, then you got to go out and buy these other movies. I'm sorry, that's just the bottom line. If you just buy Batman and Superman, that's all they're going to make. So do we want to get to the next... Yeah, because yeah. I have a feeling we've got a lot to say about this one. This is from our good friend John Drew well, with the Chronic Rift. Let's hit it. And John says, gents... I have to say I'm in disagreement with you regarding the Green Hornet. I felt that your review, Thomas, is in line with many people who went into the film knowing the rich history the Hornet has. I did the same thing at first because I love the TV show, I love the old radio dramas, and I love the now comic series that was produced in the 90s. The thing is, despite all that, the Green Hornet is the dumbest concept for a vigilante that has ever been created. Think about it. A man dressed in green with a name like the Green Hornet. Forget all the great stories and the Bruce Lee legacy for a moment and just look at it on the surface. Remember Fat Albert? They did a take on the show called The Brown Hornet with its mix of homage and mocking at the concept. God help him, Seth Rogen saw that and knew he had to take it from a different angle if he was going to reach a mainstream audience. This wasn't a movie for the fans. The concept works. A complete asshole is shocked into reality when his father is killed by gang violence. He knows what he wants to do and he knows he can't change his personal attitude when it comes to his interactions with those around him. So he remains a goof throughout the film. This works for the most part, but it also becomes one of the problems of the movie. There were two major problems with this film. One is that Rogan's character doesn't really grow. Like I said, he knows what he has to do and he does it, but I don't see anything redeeming in his character by the end of the movie. We don't expect Reed to change. He can't because people would think something was wrong. I liked how he manipulated the people at the Sentinel by acting like an idiot to get what he wanted in press coverage for the Hornet. In fact, he's even more of an asshole than Tony Stark was originally, but the Hornet needed to mature by the end of the film, and we don't get that moment in the film. There's also way too much comical violence. 
People die in graphic and what I guess was supposed to be humorous ways, but it wasn't funny. It was stupid. I liked the Kato fight sequences. I didn't think I was going to when I saw the previews, but in the theater it worked. I went out of my way to make sure I saw this in 2D by driving 40 minutes to a theater. In my opinion, it was worth it. Unlike The Phantom, this was not for the fans, but it works. I'd like to see a sequel, and I'm hoping they build and develop the Hornet more. John is true. Okay. Okay. I have a couple of problems with... John's statements. Okay. The first being that the Green Hornet is the stupidest concept for vigilante ever. Oh, so you mean a man dressing up as a giant bat and going out at night beating the hell out of people isn't silly or... It isn't silly. Or... A green Martian who can change his shape and fly and read minds. Yeah, I don't think that that's a valid justification for the set. And we say this with all yeah. due love and respect to John, yeah. who is a noted and respected podcaster yes. of himself. Yeah, let's be grown-ups here just for a second and yeah. take off our fan hats yeah. here. The concept of superheroes, period, yes. is ridiculous. Mm. All superheroes. The concept of grown men and women yeah. putting on outlandish costumes and trying to make a difference with outlandish gadgets and martial arts and all these other pseudoscientific. The whole concept is outlandish. Yeah. But it's like the Bible. You either buy into it or you yeah, don't. Right. So, the Green Hornet. It's never explained where he got the name what from. What makes the Green Hornet different from but, Blue Beetle? Thank you, yeah. Or Green Arrow. Or Green Llama. Or Green Lantern. The thing is, is I think that that statement that John uses as the basic building block for his rebuke of our critique doesn't hold more. Yeah. Um, sorry, John, but I'm nah, sorry, man. Yeah. And sorry, I still buddy. contend that Seth Rogen knew nothing of this character. He didn't have any respect for the character because he didn't know what the character at all. And the only thing he used as inspiration was that scene in Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, where he saw the funny joke scene about Van Williams thinking he's the hero when he's not. Right. And took it to heart. And Which to me, okay, let me say this. That's a pretty damn good yeah. concept in itself. We saw it done to its ultimate yeah. form in a movie both me and you yes. talked about. We love Big, Big Trouble, Trouble in Little China. China, where the guy who's the hero is actually the sidekick. Yes. So I've got no problem with them using it as a concept in a movie. However, when you do that, it's not the Green Hornet. Yeah. I don't see why this is so hard to understand. Also, I mean, this comment he made about Rogan's characters and grow, I thought that I addressed that in my review. I believe you did. Yes. That he remains an asshole throughout the entire film, and in fact, they pointed out in the script where Cato turns to him and says, wait a minute, I thought that you hated your father. And he's like, no, he's good, he's still an asshole, but he's still, he's good. First of all, I want to tell you where they made the mistake, yeah. right from the start of that movie, because you know yeah. how I would have did it. What it did in period, in the 1960s. You pick up right from where the TV series yeah. left off, as if this was just like an extended episode right. of the TV series. That's how I would have did it. But then it wouldn't be relevant. Well, I guess, my relevance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> High five. <laughs> Fight my relevance. I hate. I saw. Oh well, we've got to make it relevant. No, you know what you have to do. You have to make a good movie. I think we've seen now that if you make a good movie, it doesn't matter what period it takes place. Exactly. People will find. People will go to see it. You worry about making a good movie. Yeah. Don't worry about well, it should be relevant or. How many product placements can we stick in here? Or how many toys can we sell? And I understand that that's all part of the business of making movies. Which is why making movies is a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to stick. Okay, perfect example. You know what I saw recently? And I know it's a movie that you hated. I saw it. And this kind of ties into a Western theme for this episode. It wasn't the character, but I thought it was pretty good. Okay. Jonah Hex. I have yet to see it. I actually probably will never see it. I thought you saw it. I never saw it. Okay. I watched it because they gave us a free weekend at yeah, HBO. Okay. It's a damn short movie. It's not even 90 minutes long. Yeah. So that was the final 
point where I said I'm not going to see it. Now, you know what it was the movie that it should have been a movie previously that came out a few mm-hmm. years back that everybody hated? Yeah. The Wild Wild West? Yeah. There was more Wild Wild West in Jonah X yeah. than there was in the actual Wild Wild West. And of course, Megan Fox, who I believe there must have been some CGI work done to her because there hasn't been a woman with a waist that tiny since the 12th <laughs> century. I don't care what kind of corset you got. Human women don't have waist that yes. small. And her character was totally unnecessary to the Well, the thing is, okay, she plays Tallulah Black, right? Right. In the comic book series, Tallulah Black is a former prostitute who becomes a bounty hunter and is, for the first 50 issues of the Jimmy Palmiotti run, which I recommend to everybody, Okay, is his sometimes ally, sometimes lover. And in fact... She is the mother of Jonah's child. Right. In the continuity. When they finally just break up, she's pregnant. The reason she becomes a bounty hunter is because she's scarred by a John, and she hunts the John down. That's one of the reasons why they hang out together. She's got okay. knife wound scars. Well, she's scarred by John. Yeah. Exactly. Does any of that make its way into the movie? Mm-hmm. Or is she just some hot prostitute chicky? Yeah, hot prostitute chicky. And then, May I just say also, first know, off, in the Wild West... No prostitute ever looked like Megan Fox. No, hell no. But the point I'm trying to make, and yes. the correlation I'm trying to make to the Green Hornet, was this the Jonah Hex that I knew and loved for yeah. many years? No, it wasn't. This was a completely different. If they had called a Petey Wheat Straw, right. I would have, you know. Because <laughs> now, of course, I'm thinking of a Western with Rudy Ray Moore in it. <laughs> Now I'm thinking of Rudy Ray Moore in a black satin cowboy outfit <laughs> running around telling stories, which actually would be a pretty damn good western. Okay, but this is the point I'm trying to make in regards to the yes. Green Hornet. And I'm sorry, I will maintain this until they throw yes. dirt on my face. When you change the fundamental essence of what a character yeah. is, he's not that character anymore. Yeah. He's somebody else. And that's what Seth Rogen did with the Green well, Hornet. I would, I would, it's not the Green Hornet. I'm I sorry. would contend that they did change the fundamental elements of Jonah Hex by giving oh, yeah, him natural powers. Of course, yeah. Well, now, I know Des. And Des, I know you're going to say, yeah, when Joe Lanza wrote him, he got involved with the supernatural stuff. But he never had supernatural powers. But he never powers. himself had supernatural powers. The, right, yeah. the whole charm of Two Gun Mojo and Points West and the Riders of the Worm and such, the three Joe R. Lansdale, Jonah Hex miniseries, is that Jonah was a normal guy thrust in abnormal circumstances. Right. And see, once you change that about it, then it's not Jonah Hex. Right. You have a character who says he's Jonah right. Hex, but that's not the Jonah Hex I know. You know. And that's certainly, the, which is why I said, call him something else. Right. It's the same thing with the Green Hornet. Now I want my Rudy Ray Roman Western. Oh, yes. <laughs> That'd be some badass shit. Yes. I haven't seen the Green Hornet yet, and I'm not going to be like a lot of people. Well, I ain't going to watch that shit. No, and they know it. They're going to yeah. go as soon as it comes on Netflix. Yeah, yeah I'm going to watch yeah. it. Of course I'm going to watch it. Am I going to like it? Probably not. But I'm going to watch it. If for nothing else, then I can give a more informed yes. opinion later on when people ask yes. me. Instead of just shooting from the hip. That's that. As far was So yeah, John, I'm sorry. We're going to have to agree to disagree on yeah. this one. Because I don't think you made a compelling argument. Bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> Bring it all the way back to the 19th century. <laughs> and Spain. Wow. Wow. One of the things I want to say about, I mean, and I, I pointed this out and did the, my 10 statements on Fistful of Dollars, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm watching the whole trilogy again. Not just the soundtrack, but the whole audio track 
is mm-hmm. a character. Yeah. Even when there's no music playing, you hear stuff in the background that's part of the atmosphere, part of the story. I'm going to tell you two things that Sergio Leone loved. Yeah. Sounds, sounds and faces. Yeah. He has many extended scenes yeah. where it's nothing but people like the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's that wonderful scene I love mm-hmm. where Lee Van Cleef comes to the guy's right. house. And it's wordless mm-hmm. for about a good ten minutes. Yeah. And the guy comes in. Well, and most of his films are wordless for most of the openings. But here's the thing. Until you see the Sergio Leone movie and realize yeah. how much of it is it, then all of a sudden movies nowadays seem extremely yeah. talky to you for no reason. In his movies, people only talk when they have yeah. to. And even then, they don't say a whole lot. They mm-hmm. say what they got to say, which is probably how people talk back then. Yeah. They said what they had to say, and that was it. But it's a wonderful scene where you have the kid, he's on the donkey riding right. around, and you hear the water splash, mm-hmm. you hear the hoof beats, yeah. you hear the jingling of the spurs, you hear the creaking of the floorboards. There's always sounds, ambient yeah. sounds going on. That, as you accurately point out, they further the story. Yeah. They're not just there, just for noise. They're there for a reason. Yeah, but yeah, he came with this idea in 1964, where he said he wanted to blow the doors off the Western. He was very dissatisfied with the way the American Western was being made. So he wrote the script, he gave it to, supposedly it was ten different people before Charles Bronson said, give Clint Eastwood a call. Well, I know definitely he approached Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. Henry Fonda, Charles Bronson, and James Colbert. Lee Eastwood, who was very unhappy, apparently, being stuck in... Rawhide. In Rawhide, being stuck in television, and wanted desperately to start making movies. Right. And I think, even back then, he was interested in being a movie maker. Well, yeah. He said that that was always his goal, eventually, to direct. As a matter of fact, when his movie that he won the Academy Award for, Unforgiven, yeah. you will notice that he dedicates that movie to Don Siegel and yeah. Sergio Leone. Right. He said with the two directors he learned the most from right. out of all the directors he worked with. Mm-hmm. Now granted, Sergio Leone isn't a woman's director, and we'll get to that I guess in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But he's definitely a character director. Yeah. There's always this impression that, quote unquote, the man with no name is the same character through all three films. No, they're different characters. Mm. And each one is distinctive in his own way. Let's clear that up. They're collectively known as the man with no name trilogy. Right. And you're right. In every one of the movies, he does have a name. However, this is the reason why I think he's known as the man with no name. The names that other people give him. Yeah. He's never himself come out and said what his name is. Oh, okay. He's known as Joe in The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. No, he's, he's called Blondie. Blondie, yeah. And in For a Few Dollars More, which he right. also made with Lee Van Cleef, mm-hmm. we see his name printed on a newspaper because he's a known yeah. bounty hunter called Manko. But however, if you notice, Lee Van Cleef never calls him by that name. He yeah. calls him Boy through most of the movie. Yeah, he never offers up his own name. It's always what other people call him. So I think right. that's why it's known as the Man With No Name mm-hmm. trilogy. But you're right. They're all subtly different characters yeah. in each one of these movies, though. They're not the same guy, even though they all dress the same. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't even say that. The look from Fistful of Dollars was something that was literally it was just like lightning in a bottle because it was stuff. Clint Eastwood found a pair of black jeans on a Rodeo Drive boutique and said, I want to wear these. He put that outfit, the yeah. skin vest, he put that outfit together. And so. it was Sergio who said, let's put the poncho on you. But I'm going to tell you something. Very funny. Now, you've seen all three of the movies, yes. right? Yes, I have. If you watch the three movies in order, you will realize that in actuality, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is actually a prequel to the other two movies. Because he doesn't show up in the familiar outfit yeah. with the poncho until the end of The mm-hmm. Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He gains yeah. the vest and is at the end. 
he gains the poncho because it's a dying soldier. Yeah. And he gives him a final smoke mm-hmm. and he's getting him some water. Yeah. He takes the poncho from the dead soldier and he puts it on himself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a weird thing that you realize, oh, this is a prequel. Right. This isn't the sequel um, to it. I made reference to the fact that Charles Bronson called it a dumb script. I don't think that Leone Westerns are dumb. No, they're not. They're very they're smart. Very smart. Right. The whole point of Fistful of Dollars, the whole resolution builds on the fact that East has been manipulating with his words. He gets out of that trap by his words, not by his actions. And know how I can tell you that this isn't a dumb plot? Because if it's so dumb, then how come it's been... Okay, the original, and matter of fact, I have the book around yeah. here. Somebody sent me the book. It's based on a novel by Dashiell Hammett called Red Harvest. Red Harvest, yes. Which is about the Continental Op, who comes to a 1930s town that's very corrupt, and there's these two warring gangs, and he, right. much like the Clint Eastwood character, he gets in the middle of it. It was done as the movie Ojimbo, a right. samurai movie. It was done at this western, and it was done Walter Hill. Last man standing in the 30s period. Yeah. So if the story is so dumb, how come it's been remade all the different times? It's been kind of used as a template for a number of things. I just recorded a episode of Using the Long Box, mm-hmm. where Michael Bailey and I talk about the Born Again storyline. Right. And I made reference to the fact that before he did that, Frank Miller did a single issue of Daredevil, which was a fistful of dollars with Daredevil wandering into a town. Yeah. I've even used it myself for those yeah. people out there who have written my novel Diamondback. Yeah. It's the same plot. It's a mysterious gunman that comes into a town with these two warring factions, and he gets yeah. in the middle of it. It's a story that works. Yeah. I gotta say, though, of the three... My favorite is actually the middle one. Is a few dollars more. The one with Lee Van Cleef. With, well, Lee Van Cleef's in the last two, but I like for a few dollars more. The chemistry, I think, is a little stronger between Eastwood and Van Cleef yeah. in that film. I think it's a lot more vivid in terms of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think that and people forget that Leone had a sense of humor. It was black as pitch. Oh, yeah. It was there, and I think this is the one that has the most of that element that mm-hmm. I like of Leone's work. It has that great scene at the end where Eastwood is stacking up the dead bodies yeah. on his wagon, and it's ridiculous how yeah. high, and he's counting up how much money he's yes. making, and he's saying, damn, wait a minute, wait a minute, and then there's one guy, and he kills him, yeah. and Lee Van Cleef has been riding out of town, and turns around and said, is everything okay? And Eastwood said, yeah, I just have a little problem with my arithmetic, yes. <laughs> and he's throwing the body up on it. I think, I think Leone needed Eastwood to get this book, oh, because yeah. that was a match made in half. This is like one of the great actor director yeah. collaborations that people never seem to mention. Yeah. But Eastwood himself has always said that he would not have had a career without Sergio yes. Leone and those movies. But I agree with you about, yeah, it's a little bit stronger. I like the great scene they have where they're shooting each other's hats yeah. off. And again, the sounds. You've never heard a gunfire mm-hmm. in any other movie sound like it does in a Sergio yeah. Leone mode. Yes. Pew! Pew! When, how does a yeah. bullet sound like that? Once again, though, it's not a woman's world. The only woman that he really, really spent time with in his movies was Claudia Cardinale, yeah. of course, in Once Upon a Time in the no West, way. which, in my opinion, folks... But then again, is, he had the canvas that he could spend time with people that he might not otherwise do. That's true. And this was an epic, long, yeah. three-hour movie. Okay, it's a good thing that you point out, because the plot wouldn't happen without the woman. She's the one that all the other characters revolve around mm-hmm. by her arrival to this town. She's the one that sets the plot yeah. in motion. But that one, to me, that's the greatest Western ever made. Mm-hmm. The music is, oh man, it's awesome. It'll have you crying at the end when Charles Bronson is leaving out the town with Jason Robards. Because it's really the death of the mythic West. Right. Once upon a time. You know, have you ever seen that? I have not seen it. Okay. This will we, be my first time. Okay. When you see it, we got to talk about this. Because the thing I love about Sergio Leone's West, 
If I can mm-hmm. take a little time here to run my mouth. Yeah, go ahead. You know what it's like to me? What? It's not like the Wild West that mm-hmm. we know from history. It's as much a mythical realm as Robert E. Howard's mm-hmm. Hyborian Age or Michael Moorcock's World of Melbourne. Right. It's a fantasy world, except the guys here, instead of swords, mm-hmm. they use six guns. Right. Although I would contend that the Western of Leone is truer than the Western of many of the American. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. People there get killed a lot of times for no reason other than people feel like killing Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. If you notice something in Leone, nobody cries when yeah. somebody gets killed. They kill them well, and they, I mean, they, they move on. In Fistful of Dollars, the most successful businessman in that town is that old coffin guy. And that's probably the line that people best know from that movie. Yeah. When Eastwood is walking to where the guys are sitting yeah. at, and the Corralian tells him, we'll get three coffins ready. Get three coffins yeah. ready. And then he comes back, uh, I'm sorry, I meant four. <laughs> I meant four. <laughs> <laughs> Although my favorite line in that film, and I didn't use it as, because you know, I've been taken to putting a little quote at the top yeah. of each ten statements, because I couldn't remember it entirely. It's the quote that the head of the Rojo family says to Eastwood, when a man with a rifle meets a man with a pistol, mm-hmm. then the man with the pistol will die. We see how well that works Yeah, out, yeah, man. yeah. We see how that, yeah, we see how well that works out for him. That's the one that's just got the rifle yeah. and he's always, and he's, he's always, always shooting a suit of armor. The ride. And he always aims for the heart. And Eastwood, he has he used steel it, plate. Yeah. He has a steel plate. See, that's what I'm saying is that when you see something in a Leone Western, it's going to come back. Even if it's something like a line at the very beginning of Fistful of Dollars where the sidekick, the tavern owner, says, Oh, the Rojos, they run the liquor. The other guys, the Martins, run the guns. Right. And you know that somehow liquor is going to come up again. Oh, absolutely. And boy, does it. Yeah. That great scene (laughs) where he rolls about and just smashes those guys like cockroaches. Yes. It's easy for me even now, and yeah. we're talking about a movie that's what, like, it's like 50 years old now, mm-hmm. but Leone's Westerns, to me, they're like as fresh as if they were just oh, made. they're timeless. We've come up against this in the past. You look at some of the more recent Westerns, and there's always an attempt, and maybe the Coen Brothers' recent remake of True Griff is the exception to this, mm-hmm. but there's always an attempt to kind of tie it in and make it relevant to the modern guy watching. Yeah. Which means there's usually some sort of allusion to the Iraq War or something. Yeah. But Leone was only interested in telling stories. Even when, like in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, where he wants to make sure that we know it's happening during the Civil War. It's little, tiny bits, like that little side shot of the guy photographing the dead body before sending it off. It's not a big deal. It always cracks me up when I watch that movie. Yeah. Because... It's almost like the Civil War is an impediment yeah. to these three guys. Yes. They just want to get the gold. But then they get thrown in the prisoner of war camp yeah. with that great scene where Eli Walk is literally getting the shit stomped out of him. And they're forcing the soldiers to play that really sad song. Yeah. You're sitting there, you say, oh my God, Clint Eastwood said, what's the deal with the song? He said, it goes on for as long as who's ever in there getting their ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy keeps making them play the song longer and longer. You say, wow. Eli Walk, who is great in this Yes. Although, he's got the best teeth of any Mexican band that I've ever seen. <laughs> In this and the Magnificent Seven, yeah. he's got the best... I said, what do you do? Go see a dentist every week? Yeah. Is this as count as a Zapata Western? What's a Zapata Western? It's something I learned when I was doing research into the guns of the Magnificent Seven, where there was this whole slew of Westerns that were about the Mexican Revolution, and some of which, like in the guns of the Magnificent Seven, actually feature Zapata as a character. Although, I'm sorry, that little kid could not grow up to be the Zapata I know. That's almost like a sub-genre yeah. of Western. You will have usually a crew 
of men go south of the border and get the most famous example I can think of the professionals yes. Lee Marvin mm-hmm. and Burt Lancaster right. Woody Strode and Robert Ryan and Claudia Cardinale mm-hmm. was in it where they have to go rescue her from a bunch of Mexican bandits yeah. led by Jack Palin there's The Wrath of God with Robert Mitchum mm-hmm. where he plays a priest and he goes south of the border and he gets a, yeah it's like almost like a subgenre of western I don't know if it would count yeah, as a Zapata western yeah because yeah. well, yeah, Leonardo wasn't interested in tying himself down to any specific no he wasn't and I was really surprised that he used the Civil War more as a backdrop for mm-hmm. the good the bad and ugly right. the only time it really and again the black humor near the end they only get involved with the blowing up of the bridge because the army is in the yeah. way of them getting to the right. other side <laughs> <laughs> Eli Wallach said why the hell are they go fight this stupid war someplace else <laughs> and Eastwood said well let's go blow up and what it is is that the bridge is blown up but then they rebuild it so Eastwood said let's just blow the thing all the hell and gone and once they do that yeah the armies go because there's nothing left to fight over and they get to the other side yep. where the graveyard is <laughs> and it, it's funny because the war is just getting in their way <laughs> go fight somewhere else oh it's some great stuff. We should mention also that he did make other movies outside of his Dollars trilogy. Yeah. He did Duck You Sucker, yes. which is a Zapata, right. Western you would say, mm-hmm. with James Coburn as an Irish revolutionary yep. who comes to Mexico and hooks up with Rod Steiger, who is a Mexican band. Right. He leads his family and his, all of his sons and cousins and his grandfather and yeah. his father-in-law. And they're this little outlaw band. And what happens is that the James Coburn character has come to Mexico to help the revolution. Right. He's a demolitions expert. And there's a great scene where Rod Steiger has shot out the tire of his motorcycle. Right. They've never seen a motorcycle before and they shoot the tire out. And they're getting ready to shoot him. All he does is just take a little vial of nitroglycerin and throw it. Boom! The guns come out and they opens up his coat and you see he's got all of these yeah. explosives and all of these things in there. Like he said, if you shoot me, half of Mexico is going to go away. <laughs> So then Rod Steiger, who has always had the dream to rob the great Bank of Rio de Janeiro, yeah. wherever it's at. And he actually can see it in his mind. And he says, this guy can help me do it. Right. And the funny thing, as the movie goes on, it's a real character arc because two men start to switch and Rod Steiger becomes a revolutionary right. and James Coburn becomes a mercenary. Oh. And I believe that was his last Western. Yeah, after that we get... That was his last. Now, there was My Name is Nobody. Yeah, but he was uncredited on that. Yeah, but that was one he yeah. made with Henry Fonda and Terrence Hill. Terrence Hill, right. Who cool. had Mini Cottage Industry playing these kind of like comedic cowboys. He and Bud Spencer, they did three or four movies. My name is Trinity. My yeah. name is still is Trinity. And him and Bud Spencer played brothers. Yeah. And Bud Spencer was this big, hulking guy with the beard who was in another uh, Zapata Western, right. as you put it. One of my favorites, The Five Man Army with Peter Graves. And they always played brothers. The Terrence Hill character, Trinity, was known as the left hand of the devil, and his brother was known as the right hand yeah. of the devil. Those were kind of more in a comedic type of vein. Now, in My Name is Nobody, he plays a character called Nobody. Right. Who worships the character Jack Beauregard, played by Henry Fonda. Now, Jack Beauregard, all he wants to do is go to Australia. He wants to retire and be left alone in peace and go to Australia. No! Nobody right. says you can't do that. You got to go out and blaze the glory. And he says, what do you mean to blaze? And he manipulates Jack Beauregard into fighting the Wild Bunch, which in this movie is 150 guys. <laughs> Needless to say, yeah, Jack Beauregard does take on the Wild Bunch. You have to see it. But even though he's uncredited, if you know anything about Leone, and if you've seen his other movies, you look at it and say, yeah, that's yeah. Leone. And I think he did a little bit more than co-directed. If okay. you ask me, I feel he directed the whole thing. Okay. That's my feeling. And then from there, we get that long story. 
stretch. Well, in 1975, he made A Genius, Two Partners, and A Duke, which I've yeah. never seen, and I've never even heard of it Yeah, and once now. again, it's supposedly it's a Western, but he's also just a co-director and uncredited producer. Now, it should be noted that he worked on a lot of other spaghetti yeah. Westerns, too. Guys, Sergio Corbucci. Yeah. He probably did a little directing here and there, working with screenplays that mm-hmm. was uncredited. But then in 1984, he did his last movie, Once Upon a Time in America. It's really epic. Four hours. Four plus. hours, which I watched last night. And once again, it's another one of these films where the story building up to it is as interesting as the film itself. Yeah. Because. What was it released? It was a new line? Who was it? Was it a new one or Merrimack? It was one of the mini majors. Yeah. They refused to release that four hour plus movie. Despite the fact, now this is a movie that had Robert De Niro, who at that time was the hottest actor in the James Woods. James Woods. William Forsythe. Joe Pesci. Elizabeth McGovern. Mm -hmm. Tuesday Weld. Yeah. Phenomenal cast. They refused to release the movie, the four hour version. I know it was. It was a 95 minute version that was eventually released. It went to Cannes. Yeah. Where it won awards at the Cannes Film Festival, got a seven, eight minute standing ovation, but in America, it was a butchered 95 minute version. That's totally incomprehensible to anybody Mm -hmm. who's seen it. And I've seen that version. Yeah. And it's like, wow. They did do a DVD release a couple of years ago, which features the whole four hour plus. As a matter of fact, if you get the Blu ray, I think you get the butcher version and you get the four hour version. So you can see them both and you can compare the two. But to me, there is no substitution. If you're going to watch it, watch the four hour version. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Even though it's about organized crime, would you consider? This still a western. Oh, absolutely. Understand something. A movie doesn't have to be set in the West, but it can still be a Western. Well, you and I have talked in the past about how I consider that Punisher film, the Thomas Jane version. I consider that to be a spaghetti Western. Yeah, it is. It doesn't have to be set in the West to be a Western. And Once Upon a Time in America is a Western. But there's a lot of things I like about this Mm -hmm. movie that doesn't have anything to do with it being a Western. First of all, just Mm -hmm. the first hour alone, we see the characters as children. They're growing up on the Lower East Side, and we see how they become petty gangsters. They're rolling drums and they become full-fledged criminals. If we had just stuck with those kids through the whole movie, you would have had a whole movie. It's it's not enough for Leone. Leone wants to tell the entire life story of these characters. Exactly. Now, here's another thing that ties into what we were saying earlier about how Leone loves faces. What's the one thing, Tom, that me and you have said that's always pissed us off about movies? I'm trying to think of the one thing you know how sometimes they'll have a movie and they have a flashback yeah. to when a character is a child? Oh, they don't. And they look nothing like yeah. the adult. You look at this movie, Leone went to such pains to get these child actors right. that look, the guy that's playing James Woods as a kid mm-hmm. looks like James okay. Woods. The guy that plays Rob De Niro as a kid even got the mole. The girl that eventually grows up into Elizabeth McGovern. So help me, looks like her little... So he went through a lot of trouble so that when they become adults, you do believe that this is the same character. It's a story about betrayal, ultimately, Mm -hmm. but... It's not about the people that you think got betrayed. Once you get to the end Mm -hmm. and you say, oh, shit. And you realize what really has been done here. Then you say, oh, man, that's some cold shit. But then again, it's hard to feel sympathy for the Robert De Niro character. Now, mind you, this is our point of view character. And this is a guy who's a drug addict and a rapist. He rapes two women in this movie. There's no way to get around it, folks. I'm sorry. It is what it is. And he's the guy we're supposed to yeah. be sympathetic with. Just to show you where we go with. Which is another reason why I like Sergio Leone as a director and a writer. He was not afraid to make his characters unlike Right. Now, they say, we need a character that we can root for. We need somebody's likable. Well, we come back again, and we've talked about it in a previous episode. Arthur. 
Yeah. Look at how they changed Arthur and removed everything that was negative about that character for the Russell Brand remake. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's going to happen again with another film that we love. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I'm sure it will happen again. Where they which look at these... It? No, I'm just saying. Oh, in general. Whatever in general. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you look at these 70s movies and they're all about characters who don't have everything going for them. Right. These characters who have negative aspects to them. And that will not stand in 2011. Exactly. As a movie-going culture, we've actually regressed. We actually have. And see, that's why I like movies from that period, and that's why I champion them. Because if you look at Sergio Leone's film, there's no such thing as heroes. Right. There's just guys who are a little bit better at killing than the other guys. And I have pointed this out in my ten statements about Fistful of Dollars. There's only one thing that Eastwood does that you can say is altruistic in that entire film. And that's reunite the Mariana Hagen character oh, with yeah. his family. And when she says, why are you doing this? And he says, oh, something like this happened to me once. And yeah, I, well, I knew somebody like you. you somebody, yeah, and yeah. nobody was there to help. It sounds like a lie. Yeah, it sounds like he doesn't even know himself why he's yeah. doing it. It's just something has touched. The only really likable character in that movie is really that woman. Yeah. And the old bartender. The bartender. Yeah, yeah. sidekick who turns into a sidekick. Yeah. Those are really the only really likable characters. But Leone wasn't afraid to have characters that you didn't have to like. But you understood what they were doing and why and they were doing it. And why did this have an impact on the American movie industry? Oh, it changed it forever. It changed it. Now, I'm not going to lie, and Sam Peckinpah was out there, and he had started with Ride the High Country doing similar things. Have you ever seen Have you finally I have. I've not seen Ride the High Country. I was, I, I, sorry, did you ever see that excellent documentary that they did on Peckinpah's uh, Western Cycle? I think it's like the Stars Channel did. Because it came with the Wild Bunch Director's Cup. I saw it at FYE for $6. Oh, I gotta get this. And it has a whole extra disc of various documentaries and I watch it's a really good documentary and they talk about Ride the High Country and how Peckinpah had the same things that Leone had in his head going on that early but the thing is he was just one man and most of the westerns in the early 60s to late 60s were the same thing we had seen since the 30s and 40s right right the wild bunch could easily be a spaghetti western yeah. with no problem but you're right now when the spaghetti western hit the American shores yeah. that's when we started getting westerns like 100 Rifle at El Condor mm-hmm. that you could obviously see the influence because they were a little bit more grown up right. there were more people that were getting their heads blown off <laughs> and of course Sam Peckinpah with the wild bunch yeah. forget about it do you know and I did research on this when I wrote my review. When the movie was reissued a few years back to the theaters. And, and, and they tried to give it an X-ray. They tried to give it an X-ray because of the violence. 1990. So this was a film that at that point was over 20 years old. Let's see, yeah, because it was, what, 68, right? Yep. 68, 78, 78, 80. Yeah, over 20 years old. And they still were horrified. Yeah, it still was. If anybody has seen that final shootout, I, this is the most apocalyptic final shootout. The only other shootout that I can think that matched it was one that was done 30 years later. John Woo, when he did Hard Boiled. Right. The shootout that... In la- the hospital. It, that lasts for a half hour? Yeah. Oh, my God. But up until then, it was the wild book. And to this day, it's still the most apocalyptic yeah. shootout I have ever seen in any movie. But, yeah, it's obvious that Peckinpah and Leone were on the same way. Well, they were, they were spiritual brothers, if you will. And when we talk about Westerns that don't yeah. necessarily have to be in the West, look at Bring Me the Head of Alfredo right. Garcia. That's a Western to me. It's or, and we've talked about it before. Look at Straw Dogs. Straw Dogs is a Western. It, it, it's a Western. 
Yeah. I don't think there ever was, even though Peckinpah never made a true, straight, honest-to-God Western after Pack Arrow and Bully the Kid, I don't think any of his films were ever anything other than Westerns. Even something as goofy as Convoy, Convoy. which was given to him because somebody felt sorry for him. Yeah, well, wasn't it Christopher Stofferson said that? Christopher Stofferson wanted to pull him out of the alcoholic hole he had dug himself in and said, why don't you come and do this movie with me? Well, I know that Christopherson said that he felt kind of bad because yeah. when they were making Pat Garrett and Billy Kitty, he said we used to get drunk every yeah. day. He said everybody was drunk on that scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, how did you guys ever make a movie when you would. It's like the Blues Brothers. Yeah. I believe that that's going down in history as the first movie where the Coke dealer was credited yeah. in the thing. They didn't call him the Coke dealer, yeah. but he got a credit because he was there every day. Well, here, he's bringing yeah. wheelbarrows of the stuff to the set. But they knew that there had to be some change for this genre to survive. And it was a genre that obviously both Leone and, and Peckinpah love to death. Yeah, well, I love it too. The Spaghetti Western, I can sit and literally watch Spaghetti Westerns all day long. I can watch Westerns, period. Well, I want to do, we talked a little bit about episodes we want to do. I would love to do something about the Django series, which is probably the longest running Spaghetti Western series. Funny thing about that. Yes. Franco Nero has said that Django was so... And I've seen Django. Yeah. I saw it not too long ago. Has, also, by the way, has one of the coolest theme songs yeah. ever. <laughs> Django! Django! <laughs> I love that theme song. I have it on my iPod. Really? I found it. I had to go to YouTube and find somebody who posted it mm-hmm. and ripped it as an MP3 so I could have it. I'm sure that whenever it comes on in the store, people look at me funny, but I fucking care. This is a great song. And that movie, that's another movie that's got a lot of black humor yeah. in it as well. But I saw an interview with Franco Nero because I was watching on yeah. the Independent Film Channel and they had a documentary about yes. the Spaghetti Western and they talked about the Django series and he said, oh, Django, that movie was so popular and made so much freaking yeah. money. For 30 years later, he would go to other countries like Germany. No matter what movie of his, they had Django in the title. <laughs> Django against the mafia. He yes. said no. He, he said he would make modern day movies and they yeah. would put Django in there. So as a consequence, there's a lot of Django movies that are not part of the yeah. series. They just put in there. I think it's something like 50 movies. Mm-hmm. It's unreal. But yeah, it would be nice to when they sift through it and, yes, and, and try to come up and with. try to come up with okay, which ones belong to the series and which doesn't. Which other ones? Movies like The Great Silent with Klaus Kinski. Uh, Spaghetti Western where the bad guys actually win at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think there's going to be the great showdown and the good guys going to go? No! Bad guys win. Heads you die, tails I kill you. I'm pretty sure that's a title. Because uh, I remember seeing that once. In the- oh, they had some great titles. Sabata, Pray for Death Sabata, yes. Before You Kill. Yes. <laughs> all, all kinds of wild stuff. <laughs> well, that's where, of course, you got Machete. Machete kills and Machete kills again. Oh, yeah. Again. A Western. Yeah. You can consider that a Western. Now, I've only seen very brief snippets of what was going to be his next film after Once Upon a Time in America, Mm -hmm. which was Leningrad. Right. He had actually gone to Russia, he had scouted locations, he had started shooting, and then he died. Apparently, it wasn't that much footage left. I would have loved it because you know, of course, it was going to be a Western set during the Russian Revolution. Set during the Russian Revolution, exactly. Okay, like we were saying when we first started this, it continually amazes me that for somebody that only made one, two, three, four, five, six actual Westerns, yeah, and this guy created a genre that encompassed hundreds and hundreds changed of the, the genre that it birthed and lasted for that, about that, like ten yeah. years. Exactly. Yeah. Think about it. On top of that, so great was this new genre that it reached back and changed the genre that birthed it originally. 
Even today, I was watching a movie not too long ago. I know a lot of people say they don't like it, but I love it because it's a spaghetti western, Sukiyaki Western Django. Yeah, which Where, I have not seen. That's the one where, uh, or, not Argento. That would have been funny. Yeah. <laughs> Tarantino is Yeah, in. Tarantino is it. And Tarantino has a part where he sings. Now, granted, I know that Dario Argento co-wrote Once Upon a Time in America yes. with... Sergio Leone. Sergio Leone. And I believe Corbucci also yeah. worked on well, that too. Apparently, Leone was a great mentor to Argento. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to picture the Dario Argento spaghetti western. Where would you begin? <laughs> Where would you begin, my friend? That's the question we must ask. Oh, Lord. Let's be honest. For goodness sakes, I mean, the influence in both of our work. Who's Don Quavo? But a spaghetti western. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Sebastian Red. I tell people all the time. Well, that's what I imagine. If Sergio Leone and Michael Moorcock yeah. worked on a western together, this mm-hmm. is what Sebastian Red. Well, that I was mean, the premise. Like, where like Don Quavo started out as a character in my Birds of Prey, right? Fan yeah. fiction. He was called El Quavo. Yeah, El Quavo. Yeah. But he had the whole Clint Eastwood man with no name Mufti on during the Birds of Prey. It's something that I think really resonates. And to me, at least, it resonates truer than a lot of the Westerns that came out of the American. Because it's that honesty that resonates with you. Because you get a feeling, if this isn't what the West was like, it's pretty damn close. Mm. People running around killing each other and really not giving a crap about people just didn't have time to, oh my God, he's dead. Yeah, bam, he's dead. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. And women, they had very rigidly defined roles. I'm sorry for our female listeners. Oh, that's so racist and sexist. The old West was racist. Yeah. This is sexist. There's no way to get around it. Women had very rigid roles, but, and this is what I'm going to throw out to mm-hmm. the women so that they won't feel so left out. The thing about the West, women are always shown as having the civilizing influence. Yeah. Right. Like in Once Upon a Time in the West, when this woman comes to the town and the whole thing is around the water right, she starts building a little town, and at the end of the movie, the last shot we see of her is that she's going around and that she's giving water, literally giving life to all these different yeah. men, and they're building the town around this thing because once women go out there what do they want next? Well, they want shops so they right. can buy frilly little things. Mm-hmm. They want churches so that they can go to... Yeah. So women have this civilized... We always see women, mostly in Westerns, providing this civilizing influence on these barbaric bastards yeah. that are interested in drinking and whoring and gambling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a little tidbit for y'all women to take with you. So, to review, we really like Sergio Leone. Pretty much. There's not much else you can say. Really, there isn't. We really like Sergio Leone. (laughs) I think all of his films are still in print. He's one of the very few directors who I can say get all of his movies, and they're all good. It's not like I would say, just pull a name out of that. John Carpenter. Now I would say, ah, you can skip the fog, escape from L.A. I would not tell people to get the Holcraft Covenant if you wanted to get Sam Peck and Paul. Sam Peck, yeah. Or the Osterman Weekend. Or the Osterman Weekend. That really abortive, sad sad last movie he did. Right. But Sergio Leone is one of the few directors that I can say with no reservation, whatever, get all of his movies. Yeah. They're all good. We've already talked about we are going to come back to the Western and the Spaghetti Western. Yeah, Tom and I talked about this on the episode previous before this. We're going to do the Magnificent Seven series. Yes. We're going to go for all four films, so we're going to talk a bit about the TV show. Right. Because as you accurately pointed out, starting with the third one. 
Yeah. Guns of the Magnificent Seven, we see the influence of Yeah, it's West very Man. obvious, yeah, that yeah. they're trying to struggle, because all of a sudden you've got all these relevant characters, you've got Joe Don Baker has post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. they called that back then, and he's got a problem with Bernie Casey. Bernie Casey, yeah. As the first black yeah, the first black girl of the Magnificent yeah. Seven. And then you've got the geriatric... Oh, James Whitmore James Senior. Whitmore yeah, Senior, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just so weird. But yeah, we're going to come back to that. Maybe we will try it. And we also are coming back to Italian filmmaking because we still have to pay up on the bet. Oh, yeah. And I have to actually contact Will because for some reason, even though apparently it's out, they don't have on Netflix the Malou trilogy. Oh, okay. But anyway, so I guess we're going to wrap up. So yeah. whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to tell us that we should get two coffins ready... There are a number of ways to reach us. <laughs> get two coffins ready. Get, get two coffins ready. <laughs> you can send us an email at betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join our message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. You can, and this is highly recommended, if you are on Facebook, take a look for Better in the Dark. That's our fan page. You get special updates you don't get anywhere else. That's all right. On our recording and all other sort of stuff. You can join our individual Facebook groups, because both Derek and I have a Facebook page. You can follow Derek and myself on our various blogs, and now this is going to be a longer list. Derek's movie reviews are now at the Ferguson Theater for the movie reviews yes. and for stuff that's Dylan related including the news on the upcoming Four Bullets for Dylan yeah. which should be out pretty soon I just got mm-hmm. the cover from Joel Jenkins and man is it sweet Okay. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm on Live Journal. Tom has got Space Monkey Mafia. Space Monkey oh. Mafia. I opened up two blogs. One is called Damn Your Eyes, Damn Your Ears, which is where you're going to get my ten statements about a series of movie... I don't want to call them reviews. I never do. They're just things that I come away with after watching the movie. Yeah, Impressions. Impressions. And if you're interested in my music stuff, although we have to come up with more things to do with that after I repost all the 30 Days, 30 Songs stuff, you can go to Sing Along Scriptures. And I highly recommend that if you're in the mood for music recommendations that's a little bit off the beaten path. I was especially glad to see mm-hmm. that you reposted the one about Duffy. The little white yeah. girls with big black voices. I although love that. Yeah, I was very frustrated that they... Apparently, Universal Music Group decided... Uh, yeah! Pulled their yeah, the American, the, yeah, they pulled the American version. So I couldn't wow. show... Because in the original version, people, we, I had videos, but English and the American version, that they used to promote Duffy's single, Mercy, which I was talking right. about in that episode. They're, they're two very different videos. Oh, yeah. Different as night as day. I was amazed at how wildly yeah. the concept and everything is totally different behind. But go see the British one. The British one is cool. I like yeah. that one. I'm begging you for mercy, mercy. And Jason Cleaver just messaged me earlier today. She's been dropped by her label because her most recent album didn't do too well. Really? Which is kind of sad because I kept hearing these rumors that they want her to do the next Bond theme. Oh, man, I'm good with that. I'm down with that. I heard that what's the name? She's supposed to be yeah. making yet another comeback, Amy Winehouse. <laughs> uh, you keep thinking that, Amy. Yeah, right? You keep thinking that. So, How the West was weird. If we're just in a Western show, we, we should very yes, much mention it. We just did a Western show. Volume yes. 2 is coming out July 1st. July 1st. Derek's got a new Sebastian Red story. And I, Tom has got a new story in there. New character. New characters, everything. Doc Thunder and his Thunder Rider. There are stories in there from Desmond Reddick. Mm-hmm. He's got a story in this right. one. Ron Fortier has got a story in here. Barry Reese has got one. The list goes on. It's got twice as many stories as the first one. And I've been privileged to read read a few of them already before you guys and I'm telling you this is something if you love westerns if you love weird westerns 
you got to have this one. One more thing. One more thing. Alterdivisions.org. Ah, Alterdivisions. Because, as we've mentioned before, it's coming. Infected. If you go to Altered Visions, that's where you will find it because Tom and I are quite active in mm-hmm. the fan fiction community. Tom writes Avengers West Coast there, and I am helming Avengers, and mm-hmm. we're having a lot of fun doing it. So, by all means, if you're into fan fiction, or if you just want to read some pretty damn good writing, if I say so myself, yes. shoot on over there and check us out. Too. And until then, I guess, it's time to get on our horses. Oh, it's time. Put on our poncho. It's time to get up on the horse, Pilgrim. And say que pasa. Not a pasa do I say, but where's out of here. Two coffins ready. Yaha, yaha. Yaha. You remember that one? When a man with a rifle meets a man with a podcast, the man with the podcast usually wins. Except when he's got his back turned to him, in which case. Anyway, whatever it is, go go see see that movie. Vaya con Dios. Can't pass up, Hell Cross. <laughs> hey, mister, you just can't pull the emergency cord and jump off. Tell me, why'd you stop that train? If you want to get off, you... Well, the railroad company be mighty pleased to make any arrangements for any passenger if you want to get off, yes, sir. I did get off. Thanks. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Brian Higgins of the Hammockus Podcast, the Film Sack Crew, Des and Megan of Married to Movies. Rest in peace, you beautiful, beautiful podcast, you. Eric Froman, the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark once got three coffins ready, but didn't kill anyone. So, uh, you want to buy a coffin? Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.bitdsite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.b-.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that you should always brush up on your arithmetic. How else can you keep track of all the money you're making slaughtering evil men? My mistake, poor coffins.